<clears throat> Welcome to Eastlake. We are so glad that you are here. Welcome to part six of our Who Needs God series. If this is your first time, you picked a fantastic day to check us out. Thanks for not camping today, guys, by the way. In this beautiful weather, I don't know how you did it. Uh, waking up on Friday, if I didn't have to be here, be here I'd probably be camping. Um, but uh, we're, we're glad you came to finish out the series. Um, if you've missed any of the previous five talks, there's a website you can go to, eastlaketricities.com slash talks, we teach in series here. And as a result, um, there's kind of been conversations and thoughts leading up to this. And so if, if some of this doesn't make sense, then perhaps looking back at some of those or re-listening to this one tomorrow or whatever, um, we'll, it'll be up there and, and help, uh, hopefully be helpful in that way. But it's been a series that's been directed towards a category of people we identified in week one as nuns or non-affiliated. We call them nuns, but they're really just when it comes to um, what they believe or what they would sign up for what they believe. Are you Christian? Are you Jewish? Are you Muslim? Are you this? I'm just a nun. I'm just, a, I don't know, man. I don't know about God. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I, it matters. I don't really care. Um, I think we're all connected somehow. And uh, be ethical and go light on God. That's been kind of like the motto, unofficial motto of nuns. And so this has been a series not to convert atheists. This is not, that's not the goal. I'm, my goal in this series has been to address the people who have walked away or are currently walking away from faith. At some point, you had some sort of a faith thing, but you grew up and your faith didn't. You begin asking questions that weren't getting the answers that you wanted. You asked fact-based questions and you got faith-based answers. People are like, I don't know, stop asking questions, just believe, man. What's wrong with you? You, don't, you went to a church or a youth group or something like that. And, and as, your, as your mental capacity evolved and, 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 uh, and it got better, um, the, questions, the answers to the questions that you asked about faith didn't. And so you just walked away. And, and we said at the beginning of the series, listen, I get it, I understand. My goal in this series is to ask you to reconsider. My goal in this series is to, is to show you or tell you that I think that maybe you have walked away for reasons that are un, uh, unnecessary. And, uh, and to, to say, take a, a second look, take a second glimpse of all of this. And, and my invitation to you is we've tried to build this community, what we call Eastlake or this church. We've tried to build this as a community for people uh, to begin their adult faith journey, to come with all of the questions, come with all of the doubts, come with all of your science, all of your thoughts, all of your what about this and what happened to the dinosaurs and all that kind of stuff with you, and then we can kind of journey together, and you are welcome to belong here long before you ever have to believe here. There is not a ticking time clock. You've got six weeks to figure it out, or we need your seat. It is a, this is a, a come, enjoy our coffee. We'll, we'll have your kids. We'll build a, a foundation for your kids, a moral foundation, which is why some of you come here, uh, and, and that's fantastic, and it's, and it's a safe place to ask a bunch of questions and, and do this route. And so this has been an invitation to nuns, and a lot of times people like that, and, and you know people who are unchurched and in this nun category, and they've told you, or, or you've said it to somebody else, I'm just not a fan of organized religion. I think what you do is fine. I love the fact that you guys are in an old abandoned theater and you've kind of renovated and done that, all that kind of stuff. I'm just not a fan of organized religion. And I would say to that response, and you can steal this response, so let's, let's flip that. Let's look at that. So are you more of a fan of disorganized religion? That sounds way more dangerous to me. I feel like more things are done incorrectly in the name of disorganized religion than organized religion. So I understand your fear of the church. I get it. I understand it. But I'm asking you to reconsider. We want you back. We want you back. Why? Because we need you. Why do we need you? Because you keep us honest. You keep guys like me honest. Like I can't just float through talking about, you know, let's all gather together and affirm the things that we already believe about ourselves. It's not an invitation to already convince to come on Sunday uh, to give, to gather together and be like, this is what we all believe, right? All right, pat each other in the back, grab a snow cone on your way out and have a great week. 
That's not what this is about. It's something more than that. We want you, we want you questioning. We want people who are searching for fact-based answers to your fact-based questions when it comes in the area of faith and religion. And by the way, the reason, a second, more selfish reason why we need you is because people are attracted to things when they walk in and they see themselves in the audience. So we want you here because we, we said we want to be a church for people who aren't into church. And those are the people who have questions like that. And people all the time walk through the doors of our church, just like they walk through the doors of a coffee shop. And they look around for people who look like them, act like them, and talk like them. And if they're going, nope, right, then they leave. You've walked into a coffee shop before in Portland, haven't you? And you thought, I don't belong here. I don't have the hair, I don't have the smell, I don't like your nose, you know, all that kind of, whatever it is, you've walked into a place like that and been like, nope, doesn't, have a, doesn't matter how good the coffee was, could be the best coffee in the world, I just don't feel like I belong there. And so you just like, I'll, I'm good with Starbucks. I walk in, I'm like, yep, it all looks fine to me here, right? We want this to be a place where tough questions are asked and things are not easily resolvable because life isn't easily resolvable. You know that, you know that to be true. So, Today, uh, as a culmination of this entire series, we've, we've gone down tons of rabbit trails when it comes to faith and, and who needs God and uh, what is all this about. Today, I want to circle back and summarize the entire thing by asking you to do something that I think is uncomfortable and oftentimes difficult, and it, it's not something that's easily done, okay? I want you to be honest with yourself about yourself, and the reason this is uncomfortable is because we like to profess an image, or we, we are very, very good at what's called image management. We like to manage the image that we present to other people. That's why, we, um, that's why we filter through some of our photos, and we're like, I'm not sharing that one. I'm not sharing that one. My face looks good in that one. Let's share that one. That's my good side. I'll share that one. We, we are very careful at doing that, and we're not really honest with ourselves when it comes to things that we um, don't think, uh, uh, we don't want other people to notice about ourselves, right? Uh, we, we're, not on, we're not honest with ourselves sometimes about um, some, some habits that we've developed, uh, we just kind of turned a blind eye to those. We, we turned a, a blind eye to, uh, to weight management with ourselves. We're like, well, I have all kinds of reasons. I have all kinds of stuff uh, with this. And it's not easy and it's not uncomfortable. And when I, just speaking personally, okay, when I have been honest with myself about myself, I oftentimes come walking away with a homework assignment. I have got to do something about this. I cannot just reflect on something like that and then not do something about it. I now have work to do. I now, if I'm honest with myself, um, I was a jerk in that situation, and I probably need to go ask for forgiveness from the person that I hurt or um, took advantage of or whatever the situation may cause itself to be. And so I'm, I put myself in an uncomfortable position. It is far easier to lie to ourselves about ourselves. And we called this in a series we did um, a couple of years ago. I, it was a series called I Told Me So, and we said self-deception Self-deception always takes us in a bad direction. Self-direction always, or self-deception always takes us in a bad direction. We know this about ourselves because if you're not honest with yourself, what you find is you remain stuck in whatever habits you find yourself in. It is a lid to growth. It is a lid to becoming the better version of you that you want. But I deceive myself into thinking, but this is fine. This is, I'm, I'm good in this area. And if we were honest with ourselves, we'd be like, I'm not really good in this area. I try and convince myself that I am. And for some of you, it's so, here's, the, here's the problem with self-deception. It's easy to spot in the lives of other people that we love. You may have grown up with a mom or a dad who had, 
who would engage in such self-deception that they led destructive lifestyles, they had destructive habits, and yet they never were honest with themselves about it. And you, as soon as you got to be about 16, 17, 18, you got to be able to see it behind the scenes and be like, you drink too much. You don't think that you do, but it affects how you relate as a dad to me or as a husband to our mom or my mom or, or, or all kinds of destructive spending habits, financial things that you'd be like, you would be a better dad. You would lead a better household. This would be a better place. My upbringing would have been better had you not deceived yourself into thinking that everything was good. And, or you, I mean, think about yourself. Let's, let's pin this on you for a moment. If you're divorced and you've looked back on your life and be like, if I had not my, deceived myself in this situation into thinking that the problem resided entirely on the other person, if I had taken ownership, perhaps my first marriage may have turned out differently. But I was so ingrained, it was so ingrained in me that you know, this, uh, th- th- this was a, I'm in the right and I- I'm innocent and I-, I-, I might own up to like 10%. It's 90% their fault, 10% my fault. And yet you don't even operate with the truth of the 10%. You don't even own up to your own 10% in this because self-deception is difficult and it always takes us in a bad direction. All right, we know that that's true in life. I just explained examples about how it works out in the reality of just everyday existence. What would that look like in the area of faith? If you are a nun and if you've kind of seen life as it currently exists and reality as it currently exists, or your experiences of life have shaped in you a belief to deny the existence of God, the question that I have is, can you be honest with yourself about why you deny the existence of God? I want to read for you an example of somebody who is an an author. His name is Thomas Nagel. His most recent book is Mind and Cosmos. He also wrote a book called The Last Word a few years ago. Um, And in this, he describes in brutal honesty why he embraces atheism. And I think it's really important for you to see it and just hear the brutal honesty of this. Here we go. It says this, I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. Pause right there. That may not be true for you. You may have been like the dumbest people I know. Those are the guys who rely on faith, right? For him, in his society, in his realm of friends, he goes, I, ha- I can't shake the fact. I, I want it to be true, because- and-, and-, and I'm uneasy with the fact that some of the people that I respect the most find themselves to be religious believers. It isn't that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Listen to what he says. He's not saying, I don't believe in God because I can't see how the numbers play out. One and one don't make three for me, and I just can't deal with like how science kind of works and all of this, and and, and therefore it justifies this. He goes, if I'm really being honest with myself and I'm kind of burying my soul in this book and this expression, this memoir about my faith and my faith journey, or lack of it, I should say, I don't want there to be a God. I don't want a universe to look like that. That is brutally honest. That is engaging in not self-deception, but self-awareness when it comes to faith and his faith journey. It's brilliant. And there's an important difference. I want to I point this out to you. There's an important difference between I don't believe it and I don't want to believe it. I don't believe it. Let me, let me say it this way, because uh, I think it'll help illustrate this. I don't believe it because, and what we fill in with the because of, if I say I don't believe it because, we fill it in with ex- experiences and facts. 
For us, I don't believe it because one and one never make three for me. I don't believe it because of the whole natural selection and survival of the fittest and evolution in this six-day creation thing. And I just can't make sense of all of this. And I can't believe that if a God exists and he's all loving and all able to do some things, that he would allow something like this to take place yesterday in Portland or this last week in Egypt and just ISIS in general, some of the stuff that took place with the Manchester bombing. I just... I can't reconcile a God who loves with the world as it exists. I don't believe in God because that's one thing. Listen, if you go that route, I get it. I think that there's information out there. My encouragement to you would be keep seeking. My information to you would be keep, keep learning, keep, keep um, chasing after what then is true. But if your response is, I don't want to believe it because of, a, and, the, and then what we do is a will or a want. I don't want it to be true. I don't, I wish it wasn't true. Then no amount of information can fix that. There's no amount of information that I could expose you to or you could read that would change your mind on that because you've entered into it with a preconceived decision that then influence and shades and is a lens by which you see all of the truth in this life. Did you walk away from faith because information wasn't there? I don't believe it because I just can't reconcile this faith with experience in life. Or did you stop believing because faith became inconvenient? Faith is inconvenient. I would rather it not be true so that I don't have to do this. And it's not enough to say, I don't want something to be true because that's not really an argument. So what you have had to do in that situation or what people have to do in those types of situations is come up with reasons for why they don't believe. But it began not with the reasons why they don't believe. It began because I don't want it to be true. People, this is what Blaise Pascal said. He was a brilliant mathematician. He died at like 39 years of age, but he wrote a book called Pensees. And uh, he was a, a French mathematician, brilliant, brilliant child prodigy. Um, and he, he wrote about thoughts and beliefs and what people... And by the way, he worked in mathematics. He was the guy who... Uh, he, his, his, um, all, all of his work is still revered in terms of... He was just brilliant in the area of mathematical proofs and why the numbers make sense. Here's what he says about faith. People almost invariably arrive at their beliefs, not on the basis of proof. He knows that world exactly. He's like, I live in that world. I'm a master. People travel from all over. They read my books for proofs based on mathematics. A plus B equals C, right? But on the basis of what they find attractive. But as I observe the world, people don't arrive at their beliefs because of proof. They get there because of what they find attractive. I like that. Now let me find a reason for why I should believe that to be true. Are we not all guilty of this? Are we not all on a truth quest? Are we not, we, we try and say we're on a truth quest, but really what it is, is it's a happiness quest, isn't it? Aren't we all about not truth, but happiness? As much as we say, I'd like to, I want to figure out what's true. For the most part, the decisions that we make are based on what makes us happy. How do I get, how do I receive more happiness? Is this next job? Am I going to be more happy as a result of taking this job or less happy? If I buy this house, if I get married to her, if I marry him, if I date her, if I date him, if I stop dating him or her, is that going to be more, am I I going to be more happy as a result of this? That's what this is all about. I mean, it's like in the byline of our nation's motto, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We love that. We're American in that way. We love it because we're all about happiness. We argue not to get to the truth of things, but to get things the way that we want them to be. Have you ever been halfway through an argument 
with your significant other, somebody you're dating, or somebody you're married to, and you realize halfway through the argument that you're wrong, and you know you're wrong, the light bulb has gone on for you, everything begins to make sense, what do you do in that moment? I'm sorry, babe, you're right. Nope. We keep arguing, don't we? We find different angles. We find different ways to say it. We keep going because the goal, the goal is to win the argument, not to find truth. I want to be happy by winning this argument. Even if I have to settle for a agree to disagree, that's like our resolution for us. We realize that we're wrong, but I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. I'd rather say, well, that's your opinion. This is my opinion. And uh, we'll move forward with this. We prefer that. Why? What is that about us? Because we're not on a truth quest. We're on a happiness quest. We like to, we like to see things and may, mold things in the way that we would want them to be. We mold our truths to what is most attractive to us. And when we don't acknowledge what we suspect to be true, and we won't look for fear of what we might see, what is that about? We don't acknowledge what we suspect to be true, and we won't look for fear of what we might see. See, the danger of looking at Christianity and saying, um, well, this may or may not be true, is you're opening up the window and the door of opportunity for it to actually be true. Instead, what we usually do is we decide what we want, and then we come up with reasons. Did your faith, did your, I'm sorry, did your lack of faith come because you decided not to believe because you didn't want to believe in a God who exists, and then your subset of explanations for it come after that decision. Let me illustrate it in this way. Have you ever been invited to a birthday party you didn't want to go to or barbecue you didn't want to go to? And you said, I can't make it. And they just, because they're jerks, said, why? Why can't you make it? And you have to be like, you're not supposed to socially ask that question. That is a social faux pas. Don't ask me why. Now I have to come up with reasons why I can't make it. Well, I'm really busy. With what? You don't understand the rules of this game. I can't come out and say I don't want to go to your birthday party. Um, Boy, our family schedule has just been busy. I've got this work project that's going on that you can never know about because, you know, you don't know about my work, but just trust me, it is. I have to come up with, oh, it's probably going to be rainy that day, and uh, boy, the kids are probably going to be tired because it's, you know, it's a three-day weekend and we got all this kind of stuff. We make a decision, and then we come up with reasons to justify what, and, and then we think, we think, these are really good reasons, and this is why I can't go. These are really good reasons. This is why I can't believe. But what if, what if, if we were honest with ourselves, we decided we didn't want to believe now let me go come up with reasons why. And then we propose, well, I, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christ. Well, I don't believe in that whole Christianity thing because of this beliefs. Ah, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Have you deceived yourself? What if, what if those reasons came after you decided not to believe? What if you were honest with yourself? And by the way, this is not a, I'm not trying to like step on your toes because it kind of can, this can kind of come across as offensive. Like, oh, you think you know more about me than I know about myself. Listen, um, I have never claimed to be not offensive at this and not step on people's toes, okay? If I have not offended you at this church yet, you just have not been listening hard enough. You need to listen harder, okay? Of course. I, I wanted, I'm, I, in my position, my role, I'm supposed to challenge some of these long-held beliefs that you have, especially when it comes to areas of faith and, and uh, perception about God. And, and so 
My question, if, you, if you're going to be honest, and it's not a fill out a card, we're not going to have everybody's eyes closed and raise your hand and come to the front and do all this kind of stuff. Listen, I, I'm all, the only thing I'm asking for you to do would be to do a, perform a self-evaluation on yourself. Is the reason that I don't believe because I don't want to, and then I came up with reasons, or did I legitimately have reasons and then I just couldn't make the math work? Because if it's a legit and I can't make the math work, then great, keep searching. If it's because I decided not to, and then as I went into kind of apologetics or looking at reasons for the existence of God, I found reasons that supported my already held belief. Then what is that? What is that about? Could it be that the reason, the real reason that you walked away from faith isn't the reasons that you commonly give? Is that possible? Because the reason that we may not want God to exist is because if God exists, then a couple of things take place. One of three things. Number one is I'm guilty. If God exists, listen, I've done some bad things in my life, right? We all, we've all said this in the course of a conversation, whether it's, uh, you know, we just started dating and I should probably let you know a little bit about my backstory or in a small group type setting. And, uh, and you don't want to like recount everything in detail, but you would say, I've made a few mistakes in my time, Right? That's, that's how we couch things, mistakes. I made a few mistakes. I didn't have all the information. It's not my fault, uh, but I've made a few mistakes in my time. See, the problem with God is not only if we believe in a God who exists, not only did he, you know, does he know everything about us, um, he also knows our motives behind it, and so um, we, we, we really have no place to hide. And so those mistakes aren't really mistakes anymore. They're like, I knew what I was doing, and I chose to do it anyways, and you know it, and I know it, and so then I'm really guilty. I can kind of write this off or pass this off or downplay it to people who don't really know me and maybe not know my past, or maybe if they knew my past, then I could try and convince them that my motives were pure, even though the results weren't. But if God exists, then I have nowhere to hide. I am guilty. I am guilty. And I don't, we don't, I don't, we don't like feeling guilty, do we? It puts us in a spot where we feel like we owe somebody something, and it's not, it's not comfortable. We'd like to be, uh, mistakes feel like, well, everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Guilty feels like I've done something wrong. And we don't like to be in that spot. And if we're going to be honest with ourselves, I don't want to feel that. I don't want to feel like that. So is that perhaps an influence as to why you don't want to believe in God? Because I don't want to feel guilty. Because if I do choose to believe in God, what I had reduced to a few mistakes in my past would come back and they would haunt me. Number two is this. Not only do I feel guilty, I feel accountable. If God exists, then um, I feel like I owe him something, that I am, I am uh, under him, that I report to him or, or some sort of... Whereas I want to kind of be in control of my own life. It's like this illusion of autonomy for myself. And it, by the way, it's not like a modern day, oh, that's an American problem. That has been a problem since the beginning. When the, the Jewish people, when they were writing kind of their origin stories, they were probably in Babylon reflecting on humanity and whether or not you believe Genesis 1 to be historical or just metaphorical, it doesn't even matter. Either way that you read this, what you read about is from the very beginning of the story and who we are and where did we come from, we have constantly had a struggle with submitting to the authority of God. God places them in the garden. The story is they're tempted with, hey, 
you know, God wants you to be under him. But if you eat this apple, you can be the same as him. Therefore, you wouldn't be accountable to him. You would be peers with him. Well, that sounds pretty appealing. I'm going to eat the fruit. You're going to eat the fruit. We're both eating the fruit. And then all of that, any time that we have the chance to come out from being accountable to God, we kind of lean in that direction. I don't want to believe in the existence of God because that would mean that I have to submit to something or someone, and I kind of like to be in the driver's seat on this. And finally, and perhaps the greatest barrier for the reason why I don't want God to exist is because if he does, then I would have to admit that I'm wrong. We don't like wrong. wrong. We don't like to admit that we're wrong, do we? We hate admitting that we're wrong. We, at the end of conversations where we realize we are in the wrong, that we didn't understand it and we've been enlightened, we try and justify it. Well, I didn't know all the facts. Now that I do, I can, I can get it. Or again, it's that whole agree to disagree type of thing. There's a reason for me being wrong. I don't like it. What is it in us that we just can't admit when we're wrong, even though we know that humility is always a better way forward? Even when we know that humility makes us smarter and that I am wrong is the most direct route to understanding what is right. The admission of wrong is the quickest route to understanding what is right. Perhaps I don't believe in a God who exists because I don't want to feel guilty, accountable, or wrong. And because of that, because of these are responses, not really arguments, because of those responses, I have gone then and looked up evidence to support my decision that I made, not in light of the evidence, but because I don't want to feel this way. When we are willing to acknowledge that the issue is our personal resistance, not God's existence. Perhaps my issue is my personal resistance, not necessarily God's existence. You have stepped at that moment into an epic narrative. God pursuing throughout Scripture, humanity as a, as, as, as a corporate being. This is the history. Of this, this is a story of our relationship with God. We keep him at a stiff arm. We don't want to feel wrong. We don't want to feel accountable. And we don't like feeling guilty. So therefore, we, we want to do whatever it, it, it takes to kind of act like you don't exist or believe that you don't exist. And that's within us. That's in every single one of us. That's the narrative of Scripture over and over again. He does this with the people of Israel. Then he does it with the church and humanity and Gentiles and Jews and every single person who has ever lived in this way. This is the continuing narrative that continues into 2017 for people living in the Tri-Cities. We don't want to feel guilty. We don't want to feel accountable. And we don't want to be wrong about this. And he's always, always chasing and pursuing a relationship with us and that we hold him at a distance because we don't like that feeling. But if Jesus was correct about God, and this is what we said a few weeks ago, we said our best picture of God comes not from uh, the Bible as a whole. Our best picture of God comes from what Jesus has to say, which is included in scripture, which is why scripture has value for us. What does Jesus say about God? That should be the pinnacle and the apex for what we believe about God and what he says about God when it comes to this area is this. If God exists, then there is forgiveness, number one, right? Because what? The first one is we don't like to feel guilty. Yes, but if God exists, then there's forgiveness. Guilt is a necessity for us to understand 
the immense love that God has for us. He takes our guilt, he takes our shame, he takes our embarrassment and mistakes, and he uses them to declare our worth by exchanging them for his life. Your sin, my sin, our sin together is a platform to demonstrate for God his love for us. Paul writes it in this way. In a letter he writes to the church in Rome, Chapter uh, five, verse eight, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. And that word there demonstrates, that big word, it's, it's more than, it's not God tells us. It's even more than shows us. It's like, hey, come here, come here, come here, come here. Have you ever been to Costco and they got the Vitamix blenders? They don't just set those out in boxes. Why? They cost too much. It's like, do you want college tuition or do you want a blender at your house? You know what I mean? What do they have to do? They have to be like, the reason that this is so valuable and worth your time and your investment in this money, let me show you what this can do. Taste this. Have you ever seen a blender that can make chicken tortillas? I don't know how a blender heats up soup. I don't get it. My blender at home doesn't do that. So kids, I'm sorry. You're not going to college. We're getting a blender. And they're four, and they're like, that sounds good. And you're like, good. See, he wouldn't have gone to college anyways. He's, you know, this, this is not the intelligence there. So This makes sense. It's a demonstration for us, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Our guilt allows us the platform to experience the forgiveness of God while we were still mistakers. Nope, while we were still sinners. We know exactly what we did. Mistakers feels like, uh, again, it was an accident. I didn't know what I was doing. Sinners feels like I knew exactly what I was doing. I chose to do it anyways because I'm selfish. (laughs) While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If God exists and we're guilty, yes, but Jesus is about God. If what Jesus says about God is true, then there's also forgiveness. Number two, we don't like to be accountable. I understand that Jesus says, I get, I get, I understand. But listen, you have to be accountable if you want relationship with him. If God exists, then there's relationship. Listen, relationship without accountability doesn't work. Whether it's in, think about it in any other arena of your life. If you're in a dating relationship, there is accountability in terms of fidelity in this relationship. And if you're like, eh, I want to be in a relationship with you, I just don't want to be accountable to you in any way. They'd be like, that's great, I'm out. Think about it in, in the workplace. If your employer comes to you and says, this is, this is cool, we're going to pay you X amount of dollars for X amount of work, uh, and you'd be like, great, I just don't want to be accountable for like work performed. I don't want to have to hit any goals. I don't want any goals placed upon me. I just want to come in when it's convenient for me. You'd be like, no, you got to be here at eight, every, you know, five days a week, you know, take Memorial Day off. That's fine. But back on Tuesday, you're back on Tuesday, aren't you? Well, we'll see. I don't like to be accountable to some things. Well, then you can't work here anymore. It's just not going to work. Relationship requires accountability. Well, I don't want God to exist. I don't like accountability. I get it, but you, relationship requires accountability. God wants a relationship with you, and therefore accountability is necessary for this. And finally, we don't like to admit that we're wrong. We don't like to admit that we're wrong. But if, God, if what Jesus says about God is true, then there is truth. And here's what we said about truth. We said this last week when it came to injustice and morals and ethics. And if, if God doesn't exist, then it's, all, it's kind of like this relativistic, what's true for you may not be true for me. But if God exists, then there's an objective thing to point to and be like, well, that's right and that's wrong. That's what you ought to do. That's what you not ought to do or ought not do or whatever the correct, correct grammar is in that situation. 
This is what you ought to do. And, and we live in an existence where we, that, that whole thing of this is what you ought to do, um, sometimes governs our actions, but it always governs our reactions from other people doing it to us. Whenever we are hurt unjustly, whenever injustice is taken upon us, whenever somebody takes advantage of us, we are quick to point the finger and say, you ought not do that. But when we participate in the action of doing that, it doesn't quite govern our actions, does it? We're like, well, I ought not do that, but I'm going to do it anyways. And yet, what Jesus says about God is then, then what we have is an objective truth. We know then what is right and what is wrong for us. There is a basis for justice. There's a basis for morality. If what God says about, or if what Jesus says about God is true, then there's something we can cling to and hold on to. And so the reason that we don't want God is because we don't really want to feel like we're wrong. We don't want to feel like we're accountable. And we don't, want to, we don't want to feel guilty about the way that we live our life. And yet, we all, and so that's why we've created this reason for, for not believing in the existence of God. And yet, what God offers us is an opportunity to be in relationship with him, to experience forgiveness, and to recognize that there is truth for what we believe. So, the question then, for who, if the question was who wants God, who wants God? At some point, probably none of us. At some point, we can all point to seasons of our life and be like, wow, I don't really want a God. It's more like inconvenient for us for it to be true. But who needs God? I do. Me, Brent, I do. Who needs God? I do. Why? Because I'm guilty and need forgiveness. Because I hate accountability but I want relationship. And I hate being wrong, but I want to appeal. I live my life hopefully appealing to some sort of justice and some sort of truth. So I need God to be true. And I, I think perhaps maybe we all do. And maybe for us, and this is, I close with this. Again, the challenge, be honest with yourself. Me, be honest with myself. If the reason that I walked away and the reason that I identify myself as a nun, is it because I didn't want it to be true? And then I came up with a subset of reasons and fact-based issues about that? Or is it because the facts just didn't line up for me? If it is because I didn't want it to be true, then am I willing to take another look? Am I willing to continue down and pursue faith? Am I willing to open myself up to the idea, the potential that God does exist? And if that's true, then what does that mean for my life? Because I think Christianity, I'm biased, I know that I am, but I think Christianity offers us a life worth living, a life that is accountable, that yes, embraces our guiltiness, but only because there's forgiveness and embraces an objective sense of truth and reality. Let's pray. Father, this is a very difficult thing for us to deal with. And, and, and it may, again, I, I tried to balance it out. It may, it may feel like it's offensive and, and uh, whatever. But I, I pray that you would challenge our preconceived ideals about your existence. And 
allow us to almost step out of the situation and look at it and say, but why do I believe that? If I choose not to believe, or even if I choose to believe, why, 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 why? God, would you allow us the mental space to be able to address those questions and look at it and say, then where do I find forgiveness? Then where do I find uh, a, a sense of true accountability or relationship? And where do I find truth? I pray that you would challenge each of us, give us the wisdom to know what we do with all of this stuff and the courage to then act on it. In your name, amen.